Well, good morning, and welcome to Journey. We're glad you're here today. Uh, just loving some summer. Uh, it's awesome to be uh, able to enjoy this time of year. It's definitely my favorite time, so I'm glad, uh, I'm glad we got a beautiful day to, to enjoy uh, when we get done here. Uh, guys, I want to share with you something really significant, and then I'll kind of lead into where we're going today. Uh, on July the 4th, we have this incredible opportunity. I'm surprised uh, that we had this chance to do that, except for the fact that um, uh, we've got a worship leader who's very talented, and uh, he's going to have the opportunity to have the center stage at the amphitheater uh, on uh, July the 4th, which uh, if you've ever been out there on uh, July the 4th, they have a big fireworks. But a couple, few hours before that, uh, Dan and our worship team, they're going to have the stage in the amphitheater. They're going to be able to bring some... Uh, uh, some music, some entertainment, some secular stuff, and also some Christian stuff as well. Uh, it's going to be great uh, with the center stage. Everybody will be watching that and sharing. Also, on top of the hill, we're going to be providing a fun zone uh, for uh, the kids to go up. There's going to be some inflatables. We're going to have uh, water and watermelon on the 4th of July. And that, you can't beat that, right? And uh, then we're going to have some, uh, just some hospitality up there. Uh, I think a cornhole contest as well. And then we're going to have a hospitality table, and we're going to be uh, reaching out to people and inviting them to come and check us out as a church. And we're going to be kind of pointing them toward the next Sunday, the 8th. So we're going to work on the 4th and encourage people to come and visit with us on the 8th. And, and uh, on that Sunday, Sunday morning the 8th, we're going to be having a tent up out here, and we're going to be providing breakfast. So I want you to keep that in mind. This is going to encourage and involve all of us to be connected, so we'll have breakfast out here starting at about, eight, at about 10 o'clock, and I know some of them are going to be in church, some of us will be in first service, uh, but about 10, we'll start serving. We'd love for you guys to come, enjoy breakfast out there, connect with our guests, because we're going to be inviting them to come uh, on that Sunday to, uh, uh, to share with us in church, and then on that Sunday, and the service is going to be composed of testimonies of you guys, uh, many of you will be sharing testimonies. You, some of you know that. It's not going to be a surprise or anything, uh, but we'll have some video testimonies of you guys about what God's doing in your life and how the journey is going for you. And uh, so we'll ask you this, this service to, to uh, have breakfast with them and then come in to have church with them on that day. And, and here's where the, the part comes in, because you know it, it requires some sacrifice on our part. Uh, we're going to have a giveaway. We're going to be announcing that giveaway and giving some tickets for that uh, on the uh, that Wednesday night, the 4th. And this is for our guests only. And I guess that's what I was trying to get to is uh, we want to sacrifice. We're going to have some pretty cool things to give away. But it's a way to invite people to come back to church on Sunday morning, enjoy some hospitality and breakfast, and then kind of see what God's doing in the lives of people. And our giveaways are for our guests only. I'll just mention that again. Uh, so I would love to have some of these things, but they're for our guests only. So we're going to need to understand that and just encourage them and welcome them and be great hosts and hostesses on that day. And, and I tell you that because I want you to come and eat breakfast and, and invite people to come. But I also, we need some volunteers, which is what it kind of comes down to sometime. We need some people to set up the tent on the third. We need people to uh, invite and connect and be host uh, on the fourth. And we need some people to work on Sunday morning uh, to help serve the breakfast. So to do all of that, we need your help and your energy uh, this is kind of a big event for us, and we're really trying to reach out to our community and, uh, and show them what Jesus, uh, how Jesus lives in us. And there's some sign-up lists on the little table in the back, so please stop back there and get connected. It is a, there is a place for everyone 
uh, to volunteer and to serve in this and be a part of it. So uh, if you have questions, you can talk to me, Tony, any of our staff, uh, but we would love for this to be uh, a huge thing for our church and make the most of this event, all right? Now, tied closely into that, you might ask, well, why are we doing that? We're doing that because we want to impact the lives of people. And to kick us off this morning, I'm going to ask the question, what is the most important strategic life-changing thing that you could do for another human being? What is the most important thing you could do? And I was thinking about some things in our life that matter. One of them that came to mind was being a doctor. That you, you could be a doctor and that you could uh, uh, heal someone. You could discover maybe the cure to this incredible disease and treat people and give them a healthier life. You could do that. Or you could be a teacher. You could teach them to read and open up the world of education to them, history and science, and, and, and just enhance their life in great ways. You could be a, a politician, a really good politician, that, that would make laws that would bring justice and, and hope and better people's lives. You could do that. That would be significant. You could start a food kitchen and feed hungry people. You could join the military and serve and defend our freedom. Our freedom. There's so many things that you could do, and all those things and many more. If I didn't get your job, I'm sorry, but um, so many things you could do to make a difference in life. All of them are important, but the reality of it is that none of those things would make the maximum impact on a person's life. So what would? What makes the maximum impact on a human life is when you introduce them to Jesus Christ in such a way that they are invited to give their life to him. What makes the maximum impact on a human life is when you introduce someone to Jesus in such a way that they are invited to give their life to him. And maybe you're here today, and you are a Christian and have been for a long time, but you don't ever think of that. Maybe you're like me. You grew up in the church, or you've known the Lord a long time. And, and, and the problem or the, the, the struggle with that, the danger, is that we can take that for granted. We can assume that everybody knows what we know, and if they're not following Jesus, it's because they've chosen not to. In reality, a lot of people don't know what we know, and a lot of people have never been exposed to the truth. They've never been invited to give their life to Christ, and we're making them miss that opportunity. They don't know about it, or maybe you do know the reality. But you know that it's so awkward for you to talk to someone, you'd be so terrified to talk about your faith, that you know you will never think about doing it. It doesn't even cross your mind that that would be a necessary thing for somebody just because you are so uncomfortable doing so. You know, I suspect that many of us do not look at people with spiritual empathy. With spiritual empathy. We might look at their condition, their poverty, their, their health, their relationships. We might feel sorry for them. But many of us never look at people with spiritual empathy, and we do not understand or, or, or we're not honest with ourselves and them about what their eternity might look like. And I say that because the figures show us that 90% of Christians in America, 90% of us, will never share our faith with anyone in our entire lifetime. 90% of us will never share our faith. And you may be sitting there going, well, I'm, you know, I'm one of the 90. I, I really am. And, and we need to be honest about that. But we should not be content about that because that is a real problem. Because we've been talking for several weeks now about how to be like Jesus means that we would share our faith with people and invest in their lives 
and that we understand that not only is our children the next generation, but there are other people in the world who do not know Jesus, and we may be the only link that they have. And so we should never be content to say, well, I'm just one of the 90%. You know, I've never really talked to someone about Christ. And all of us are here today, and for some reason, it's some level of importance to us. There's some significance that we have in our life that we claim to be a Christian, and we live it, and yet we do not share it. There's a disconnect there. There's a problem there. There really is. And we have to find out what it is and how do we fix it? How do we resolve that? I would love to turn those figures upside down to say that 90% of us would share our faith with someone, just talk about Jesus, not just once in our lifetime, but frequently, once a year perhaps. Can you imagine how that would change things if we just turned those figures around? And I want to try to convince you in the next couple of weeks that every life on this planet, no matter the circumstances of their life, would be much better off if Christ were at the center of it. Every person, regardless of who they are, regardless of their age, their financial, economic status, they would be better off if Christ were at the center of their life and we can help them get there. You see, it doesn't matter what your job is or if you even have a job. What really matters is your and I's ability to communicate and to talk about our faith and just share, simply share Jesus with others. So we're going to talk a little bit about what it means uh, to, to know Christ and what the importance of the gospel really is and what changes we might need to make in our personal life so that we would feel more comfortable to make the Im maximum impact on somebody else's life. So to begin this morning, I want to just cut to the chase here and tell you what's at stake. Here's the important thing, and if you write things down, you ought to write this down, all of us are, and put it on our refrigerator, because it's significant. Heaven and hell are real. And a lot of us seem to maybe have forgotten that. In the business of life and our distractions, we have forgotten that heaven and hell are real. Oh, we know that heaven is real, right? Have you ever noticed how people love heaven and people talk about heaven? It's very popular. Almost everyone assumes they're going to go there. When somebody dies, what do we say? Oh, they're in a much better place. They're not suffering anymore. It makes us feel better, I think, to think that regardless of what kind of person they were or if they even had any claim to know Jesus at all. There rarely does anybody ever mention hell. Not that we should and times when people die. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying we don't even want to think about that. We don't, we don't want that to be on the radar. Heaven's big. Heaven's great. It's wonderful. But here's the thing. If you believe in heaven, you have to believe in hell. How do we know that? Because the only source of knowledge about heaven comes from where? The Bible. And that same Bible that tells us about heaven also says that there's a hell. The Bible says that there's a real heaven and real people will be there, and it says there's a real hell and real people will be there as well. Perhaps you've heard this quote of a well-known atheist, Penn Jillette, who is uh, part of the uh, uh, Penn and Teller uh, mag magical and comedian team or whatever. He said this, he said, if you believe hell is real, how much would you have to hate someone not to tell them about it? If you believe that hell is real, how much would you have to hate them not to tell them about it? Now, you know, I think that in order to show love to somebody, we have to avoid the subject of sin, and we have to avoid the subject of hell, but in reality, we're just being honest, dishonest with ourselves, and we're dishonest with them. And being dishonest like that doesn't really show love. 
Because if you're a Christian and you believe in hell, you can't just ignore it. You can't just pretend that, that it could be a danger, a threat to somebody down the road. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that even if we can say that in love? Because Jesus, who was the most loving person who ever lived on this earth, he talked a lot about hell. Not to condemn people to hell, not to beat them up or tell them they were going there, but just to be honest with them. To try to keep them from going themselves. And many places in the scripture, Jesus gives us the example, the model of how to talk to people. And then also in Luke chapter 16, which we're going to read in a moment, Jesus tells us the story to emphasize the importance of warning people about the reality of hell and the danger of going there. Here's an interesting story, Luke chapter 16. Let's read it together. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate lay a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him up to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and he was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he's comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all of this, between us and you, a great chasm is set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And he answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Now, Jesus told the story, and there's several really clear lessons in it. And the first one is pretty obvious, and that is that everybody's going to die. Rich, poor, young, old, we're all going to die. This rich man lived in the lap of luxury. He had all the good things in life. I'm, I would say he probably lived longer and healthier than Lazarus because of what he had. But Jesus said one day he died. So here's the thing. If Jesus doesn't come back in our lifetime, which could definitely happen, if he doesn't come back in our lifetime, the odds of you dying are 100%. Not 50, 50, 100%. So we're going to die. All of us are. All the people that you know in your life, your neighbors, your coworkers, one day they're going to die. Now, I'm not, that's just the reality of it. And we have to understand that. The second thing we learn is that death is not the end, it is the beginning. For some of us, we have this idea that, that death, our life is over. But let me tell you, that's just the beginning. In fact, if you were to look at the, your life and the time you spend on this earth, even if you live to be 100 years old, and there are many more people living to be 100 these days. But if you live to be 100, it would be a spot on the timeline of your existence, which only begins at death, really begins at death, and goes forward from there. It is the beginning of eternity, either in heaven or in hell, because people are, both are real, heaven and hell are real, and real people are going to go to either one or the other. Here's the third thing we learned from this is where we go will be based on the decisions that we made in this life. And understand, the rich man didn't go to hell because he was rich. He went to hell because he was ungodly. The poor man, Lazarus, did not go to heaven because he was poor. 
He may have been poor here, but he was wealthy spiritually. He had a relationship with God. That's the only way we can go to be to God with ha- be with God is to have a relationship with Him. So the decisions that we make here today are going to determine whether we go to heaven or hell. That's just very simple truth. And then when the rich man realized where he was, his eternal estate, he knew intuitively he would be there. He knew he could not get out. And the first request he made was for a little bit of relief. In fact, he asked for Lazarus to be able to come down and not bring a bucket of water or a glass of water, but a drop of water on his finger, just to wet his finger to touch the tip of his tongue to give him some relief, which is, I think, kind of an indication of how difficult and painful his suffering was. But then when he realized where he was, suddenly he had this amazing amount of interest and concern for other people, which was probably new to him. I'm sure he had never thought about anyone but himself But he began to remember his family members who were alive, five brothers and their families who were still alive that he did not want to go there to be with him where he was. And here's what I learned from that is that when you truly realize the reality of hell, suddenly you become an evangelist. This guy had no relationship with God, but suddenly he's so concerned about everybody else that he becomes almost an evangelist. Let's go warn other people now. Even if you had never cared before, like this rich guy, suddenly you become an evangelist. Now, what that tells me today is if we know the reality of it, let's not taste of it. Let's not experience it, certainly, before we begin to get concerned about it. Because when you realize that something is real and there, there is an imminent danger to someone, don't you think that you should do something about it? You, if you could change the outcome, you would certainly act. You would be moved to do something if you saw danger and you could do something about it. I want to show you a real quick video here. You've got to kind of watch close on this one because these are uh, not great footage. But I want to show you this video about people who were in danger and rescued because someone saw them in danger and did and moved and acted. Let's watch this.
Can you imagine if you were to see some of those things and you just watched and passed by or drove by, how heartless that would be? And yet that's the reality sometimes of how we act as Christians. Remember, 90% of us will never share our faith with anybody in our lifetime. We need to have that kind of boldness, that kind of initiative, that kind of courage, and the urgency to save people, you know, when they run out there in the middle of a, front of a train to jerk somebody off the tracks. We have to understand that the danger is real, and not just for life and death, but for far beyond that. You know, that's the kind of urgency that Jesus had when he saw the danger. He was in heaven. He looked down and he saw the destiny of man, the danger of mankind, and, and he left home. He left his heavenly home to come to earth so that he could rescue us. He could save us from the danger that was imminent. In fact, Jesus said the reason he had come was that he would seek and save the lost. And that means that he had this urgency, this heart for people. He sought out the people that everybody else ignored, the people who were truly in danger, and yet the people that nobody else wanted to help, people like tax collectors who regularly cheated people and everyone knew it, sinners, including people who, who uh, had foul mouths, had made mistakes, who slept in the wrong beds, who lied, didn't go to church, had no claim to know God. Those were the people that Jesus sought after. In fact, he was even accused of eating with sinners, which implied acceptance, maybe even affirmation of their lifestyle. And that got him in a lot of trouble uh, with many of his religious peers in that day, with that crowd, because they saw him as someone who would go outside of the ranks to tell others. Now, I don't think that we live in a world like that today in the church, that we're throwing stones or judging people. In fact, we've almost gone to the opposite extreme that we don't seem to care or be obvious, aware of the people who are in need around us. But we are like the crowd that stands back and does nothing at all. We ignore people. Whereas Jesus sets the example for us of how to love people and spend time with them and invest in them and never compromise or lose his own zeal for the Lord. Sometimes there's a danger for us, you know. We have to be cautious that we guard our own lives, that we become influencers of others, not influenced by the world but Jesus knew how to love people in a right balance. Listen to what it said in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. So Jesus didn't come and his method wasn't to condemn everybody around him. His method was to love them and lovingly lead them to his father. He was always missional but not condemning but to call them to repentance. The religious people, on the other hand, they stood back and not only ignored the lost, they criticized Jesus for reaching out to them. And so at one point, Jesus told three stories, one after the other, to try to convince them to care for lost people. Because what he's trying to reveal is the heart of God for people. And I want to share these, even though they may be a little bit familiar to you, I want to share them because all of us need to be reminded of how God cares about the least of these. How God cares about anyone who even by their own choice may walk away from him. How God wants them to be brought back. There are three stories. The first one is about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. He had them out, pastored them every day. But one evening when he brought them in, there was one sheep missing. Ninety-nine were safe. One was missing. And so he left the ninety-nine and he went out until he found that lost sheep in the dark back where he had been, did a search and rescue mission to find the one lost sheep. And when he found the sheep, put it on his shoulders, carried it home, and threw a party to celebrate what he had found, telling us that those who are in danger always take priority over those who are safe. 
The second story is about a woman, very similar. She had 10 coins and she lost one. This was probably her life savings. But she went through the entire house, searching, turning everything upside down, cleaning, until she found that one coin. And when she found it, she called her friends in and they had a party. But the third story probably is most familiar to you. It's one we call the prodigal son. This is about a father who had two sons. One, the older son, was steady and reliable. He never missed a day of work, never asked for anything, just was very steady uh, in, in being faithful to the family. But the second son was not so much. This younger son was unstable and wanderlust, and he asked one day for his inheritance early. And his father, not being totally insulted enough to reject him, had compassion. He sold some of his holdings and gave them to this son who promptly went out far away and wasted every dime, which his father, I'm sure, knew he would do. But he wasted it all on wild living. And soon he was broke, and all of his friends were gone, all of his food, all of his comfort, and he was forced to feed pigs, which was horrible for a Jewish man to have to do. Finally, the son realized that even the servants in his father's home had better conditions than he was living in, so he decided to go home and ask his father for forgiveness and, and say, Dad, I know I'm not fit to be a part of the family anymore, but would you just let me be a servant and live here and slave in your house just to survive? And so he began the long journey home and did not even arrive home when suddenly he was surprised by his father who rushed out of the home, down the road, and threw his arms around this prodigal son, called for a robe to be brought, a ring to be put on his finger, and a fattened calf to be killed to celebrate his return. He said, for this son of mine has been dead and now is alive. He was lost and now has been found. And you can be sure that that son was so sure uh, of his, his failure and so full of remorse and so grateful for his father's forgiveness that he responded with love and loyalty to his father. But the older brother, on the other hand, was full of jealousy and anger and resentment, so much so that he would not even acknowledge the return of his brother. He wouldn't even go to the house. He went into his own room away from all the celebration. You know, Jesus didn't spend a lot of time explaining the application, but it's not hard to see, is it? It's implied. The younger brother represents the broken and sinful people that, that Jesus welcomed to the Father. People who made deliberate, intentional choices to leave and to, to go out into the world and sin and be far from the Father. But the older brother represents the righteous people who refused to acknowledge them or accept them or certainly even go look for them. Guys, we don't want to be the older brother in this story. We don't want to be the ones that ignore the lost or resent the lost or take priority or energy away from people who are needing to know Jesus. See, in all these parables, what was really important is that what was lost really mattered, and there was nothing more important than finding what was lost and restoring it. And I want you to know that's the heart of God toward His children. God is completely consumed with seeking and finding and restoring those who have wandered away and been lost. And Jesus wanted to make it perfectly clear that there's nothing more critical than seeking the lost. And so in his passion, his mission, it became just that, to leave safety and to go find those who were in danger. Because he doesn't want anyone to be lost, but everyone to be saved. Why? Because he knows better than anyone that heaven is real and hell is real, and that real people are going to die and go to one or the other. 
And that's why Jesus moved heaven and earth to make it possible for anyone and everyone to be saved. Now, for those of us who have been in the church world a while who are believers, if we don't understand that, and we don't have a compulsion to tell others and lead them to Christ, then I guess that we don't truly understand what's at stake. So maybe this morning it's been a reminder to us to hear that heaven and hell are real. That's what's at stake. We need to know that. Either we don't know that or we don't care because we hate people like Penn Gillette said. And by the way, I don't think that's true of you, any of you. I don't think you hate people. But I think what we do is we let Satan tell us that people will not be interested. I know he tells me that all the time. He tells me, Randy, you're a preacher and people are expecting to hear that from you, so disarm them by, by not talking about it. Or they won't be interested in that. Or I'm intimidated by what someone might say or reject what I offer. And so we don't try. That's the danger we have. But I want to challenge you to say that Satan is wrong. and He's doing his best to kill and to steal and destroy. Don't listen to what he has to say. Listen to God that has a better plan. And I want to challenge you today uh, to think about this and start praying about this. Next week, we're going to take the next step. We're going to talk about a simple strategy, nothing earth-shattering, nothing um, you know, manipulative or anything. It's just a simple way to think of how we can share what we believe with other people. Because let me tell you, what makes a maximum impact on a human life is when you introduce someone to Jesus in such a way that they're invited to give their life to Him. And this morning, as you've been here, I don't know where you are on that spectrum of knowing Christ and not knowing Christ. I don't know where you are, certainly, in your life expectancy. You know, none of us know that, do we? Young, old, there's no guarantee. But the guarantee is that one way we will die, and we will go to either heaven or hell. That's the only two options that there are. So my challenge to you today would be, I wouldn't want anyone to leave this place without having some assurance with some knowledge. To say, I know for sure if I died, if something happened, I would know for sure, have confidence and peace about that. And the incredible thing is that Jesus gives us that. That's what he came to do, to give us the peace and confidence and assurance that when we die, not if, but when, that we will be in heaven and with him forever. And so this morning, if you want to have a talk with me about that. You can step down anytime. I'll be right down here in front. After the service, I'll be around. I'd love to have a conversation or text me or call me and say, hey, can we talk at some point? I would love to do that because I don't want anyone to walk away without knowing what Jesus has offered to them. Let's pray together. Father, we just come today, and Lord, I want to thank you for loving us. God, we know that in our brokenness, our humanity, that we're broken from you. And that, God, that relationship that you long for us to have in closeness is not, is not a reality in our natural lives. That, God, we need to be restored to you. God, thank you for Jesus who came to give his life. Thank you that, that his sacrifice, death on the cross, washes our sins away, removes them. And that, God, then we can be united with him through Jesus. God, thank you that you care about us in 2018. Enough that the message is still real. The gospel is still genuine. It's still relevant. God, thank you that in our modern world with so many distractions that, that God, we have something we can anchor our lives to, our faith. And Lord, that we, regardless of what our occupation, our giftedness, our knowledge, 
may be that, God, you can use us in powerful ways to cause the maximum impact in someone's life to help them know who Jesus is. God, remind us that we don't need to be a a preacher or anything else, just a, a believer that can share our faith with others and help save their life, not just for the moment, but for eternity. God, thank you for loving us and for this opportunity. I pray that you would convict and move our hearts, all of us, in Jesus' name, amen.